scriptures. I will be reading in Italian first and then in English. It's on Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. Evangelo di San Matteo, capitolo 7, versetto 28 e 29. Ora, quando Gesù ebbe forniti questi ragionamenti, le turbe stupivano della sua dottrina. Perciò che egli la maestrava come aveva autorità e non come gli scrivi. Questa è la parola del Signore. And when Jesus finished this saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as it describes. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tony. I would invite you to hold your place in your copy of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. We're at the very end of that chapter, looking at the final two verses, which focus on a response of the people to what they have heard Jesus share in the Sermon on the Mount, and which focuses our attention on the astonishing authority of Jesus. Uh, A very simple focus, but this summary statement Uh, grabs our attention because the people heard in Jesus something they did not hear in any of their scribes. They saw in Jesus and heard in him something that was exceedingly different from anyone else that they had come in contact with. And so that difference focused on Jesus's authority with which he spoke. Uh, we, We need to see that. I believe we need the help of the Lord in order to grasp what is being said here, and so I just want to pray for the Lord to help us. Father, would you allow us to be astonished with your Son? Holy Spirit, would you help us to see the glory of Jesus this morning? Would you grant us to be amazed at the teaching of Jesus? Would you open our eyes to see the wonders of your word spoken through him? Would you give us understanding so that we can gladly obey all of your will and all of your word. And Lord, I pray, correct us where we need to be corrected. Grant grace where we need grace. Grant compassion to those of us who need compassion. Grant healing this morning to those of us who need healing. Would you teach us? Would you draw near to us, Lord, as we have drawn near to you in singing praises to you. I ask by your spirit that now as we love you with our minds, that you would draw us into a place of nearness with you. And Holy Spirit, fill us, I pray. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the glory of Jesus in these words. And allow us to see the astonishing authority of Jesus and lead us to a place of worshiping you and you alone, alone, Lord, I pray. And through Christ, amen. So we're finally at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. These two uh, verses, there's a word that sort of leaps out, and it's the word astonishing. Um, It is an interesting word. I think if we can get a handle on what's happening in this particular word, because it's unique, um, we'll get a better understanding of why everyone was amazed at understanding who Jesus was. The, the Greek word is ekpleso, and it means to be amazed so as to be practically overwhelmed. 
So the people who had been listening to Jesus were overwhelmed. They, they had listened, they heard this sermon, and the effect that it had on them, uh, Matthew describes as they were astonished. They were absolutely astonished and overwhelmed. Now the Greek word is interesting. It's a compound word. The root word is pleso, which means to strike. Ek is the prefix, which means out of. So essentially what Matthew is saying is the effect of the Sermon on the Mount was as if they had been struck by someone. And, and that's what the word means, to be struck. What comes out of that being stricken, whether it's emotionally or spiritually, is this sense of awe and wonder and shock or astonishment and amazement. And so uh, one way of describing this is to be mentally overwhelmed and stunned by something that you have witnessed or seen. When's the last time you have been astonished? What, what have you seen that has been astonishing to you? Uh, I'm, I'm praying that this morning the Lord would help us to be astonished with the Lord Jesus. That's what my prayer is. And you, um, you heard it in Italian. The word for astonished is stupivano. Stupivano, right? Stupivano. There we go. I had the emphasis on the wrong syllable. All right, last week it was levanta tu casa, and this week it's Italian in stupivano. But you can hear our English word to be stupefied in that word. It's to be dazed and amazed, almost into silence. That's the effect that Jesus had after, after sharing this entire Sermon on the Mount. People were absolutely stunned and overwhelmed. Don't we need to see a vision of the Lord Jesus such that we are absolutely amazed? And, and that's my prayer. As we think about this word together, it's to capture a, a, a true essence of who Jesus is such that we are in awe of him. And one Old Testament example of where this word is used comes from King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember King Nebuchadnezzar who um, created a, a, a tall idol and wanted everyone to worship that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the idol. And so he created a fiery furnace and, and heated it seven times hotter than it normally was in order to throw Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego into that fiery furnace. And the guys who pitched them in died from the heat. It was so hot. And you remember, as they were in the fire, they walked around completely unharmed. And, and the response of King Nebuchadnezzar as he saw that was astonishment. When he saw a miracle before him, he was astonished. So there's one Old Testament example of the effect that that word means. And this is what we see unfolding here in the life of Jesus as he is sharing the truths of the kingdom of heaven with those who are listening. They're, they're absolutely astonished. Now what's interesting is I did a little word search here and this word is found 13 times in the New Testament. Uh, Twelve of them directly relates to Jesus, either by his word or his deeds. Uh, and then the only other instance happens when the Apostle Paul preaches the gospel to the proconsul on the island of Cyprus, which is where Chris and Rahel currently are, by the way. Um, and his response at seeing a, a, a miracle by Paul uh, Casting, well, there was a man who was opposing the preaching of the gospel, and, and Paul said, you're going to be blind for a little while, and he was, 
And then Paul shared the gospel with him. And in that instance, in Acts chapter 13, we are told this proconsul was astonished. And, and the word is at the teaching of the Lord. So even in that instance, it refers indirectly to the teaching of Jesus. So 13 times, 10 of those directly referred to Jesus' teaching, like in this passage. They were amazed at his teaching. The other two times referred to Jesus' miracles. And so in every instance, either directly or indirectly, the word astonishment focuses on Jesus. Every time it's used in the New Testament, it's almost as if it is completely unique in saying that Jesus and Jesus alone evokes this response when we truly come into his presence or hear his teaching or understand what he has done. So, let us be astonished with the, the, the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord. And I want to show you in Scripture, where else do we see? I'm just going to give you about a handful of instances of the, how this word astonished is used in order to get a feel for how we ought to respond to the teaching of the Lord. Because the point is, when Jesus gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can't just ignore this. You can't just forget this. And we're not going to forget it. Next week, I've invited Ben Polk to preach on a couple of highlights from the Sermon on the Mount to solidify us in a kind of, as you go, here's some things to keep on to. Here's some things to hang on to. So the first time we find the word astonished in the life of Jesus and in his ministry was when he was 12. Luke chapter 2, let me just read this to you. This is early in Jesus' life. He's 12 years old. Uh, Luke 2, 46-48 says this, After three days they found him, Jesus, in the temple. Them is Mary and Joseph who are looking for him. Um, but he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, what? They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. They've been looking for him for three, three days. This 12-year-old has run off. Now, parents, I have to ask you, if you've had a 12-year-old, where would you expect to find your 12-year-old after he's been missing for three days? Would it be in the temple? I mean, he's not off at a party. He's not at a Netflix, you know, Star Wars binge watch party. He's not hanging out with his homies on the seedy side of Jerusalem. Where would you, if you were a 12-year-old, where would you go? Would you go to the temple? And not only is the location of where he is found amazing, because I think if I'm a 12-year-old, I don't think I would run to church if I had a chance to get away. And yet Jesus does, and not only that, he amazes his teachers. Right, those with whom he is sitting and conversing, right, most 12-year-olds can't even make eye contact with your teachers, let alone impress them with a sustained spiritual conversation or theological argumentation. And yet this is exactly what Jesus does. When his parents saw him as a 12-year-old, they are amazed, absolutely astonished at this young man. And we can understand why. The second time we see the word astonished in Jesus' ministry happens at the very beginning of his ministry when he goes to the synagogue in his hometown and he preaches and teaches in the synagogue. Matthew 13, 
uh, 54 to 56 says this, I'm coming to his hometown, Nazareth. He taught them in their synagogue, and so they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Do we have the right guy? Is this him, right? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did he get all of these things? Right? They're absolutely blown away because Jesus stands up in the synagogue and offers a teaching. He begins to teach and they are astonished. They knew him. They knew his family. They knew Jesus did not go to Jerusalem University. He did not go to the Jewish Divinity School and get an advanced degree. And yet they are amazed at his teaching. And they're asking themselves, is, is this the right guy? Is this who we think he is? Is he not the carpenter's son? He was known in the area. Hey, he probably worked for many of them and done odd jobs. And they're like, we know his family, right? James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and we know all of his sisters. And, by the way, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had at least four other sons apart from Jesus and at least three sisters. And good grief, if those five boys and three girls were anything like my family, Mary was perpetually in the kitchen more than anything. Because my boys eat us out of house and home. And so here, Jesus, they had a family. They were known in town. And they're astonished. Where did this guy come up with this information? How is he a teacher that he is? Right? They're, they're astonished because he's, he's a carpenter. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine one guy saying, he, he built a kitchen table. He, he's, a, he's a nice guy. You know, I just wasn't all that impressed with him. Of course, we didn't have a theological conversation, but he, this is the carpenter's son. How, how is he teaching and preaching like this? They were astonished at who Jesus was and the, the knowledge that he had about the will and word of God. A third instance we see the word astonished came from how Jesus understands heaven. This is Matthew 19. We see him describing um, the response of the, this word is used in describing the response of the disciples in a conversation that they had with Jesus. And, and we read this, Just Jesus, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? Right? The astonishment comes from Jesus' claim of knowing what it takes to get into heaven. And he is saying, it is only with great difficulty that a rich person can get into heaven. He said, in fact, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And the disciples, of course, understand Jesus is not merely saying it's difficult to get into heaven. He is saying, camels don't fit through the eye of a needle. He is saying, salvation is impossible, humanly speaking. And the disciples get it because they say, then you can be saved. And Jesus' answer is, you're right, disciples, because with man, it is impossible. Salvation on our own is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so he is saying, without divine assistance, nobody's saved. That's what Jesus is saying. And the, the disciples are astonished at the knowledge of Jesus and how 
There's, there's no debate here. They don't say, Jesus, are you, are you kind of overstating that? Is this hyperbole? Right? I can't move. I, you're, just, you're just saying that, right? They don't. They understand Jesus to be speaking with absolute authority. And they are amazed at what they hear from him. Another instance, the, the word is used to describe the response of the crowds who heard Jesus having a theological conversation with the Sadducees. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection after death. And so they had this conversation, and here's what we see. Jesus, who confronts the Sadducees, tells them they're just flat out wrong. Here's what he says, Matthew 22. You are wrong, because you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Right here is Jesus, um, standing and looking, uneducated, untrained, unlettered Jesus, standing and looking at the PhDs of his day in the face and saying to them, you're wrong. You are, you're flat out wrong. You don't know your Bible and you don't know God. Incredible. Who does this guy think he is? And this is what we find Jesus saying. You, you don't know God and you don't know your Bible. God is not a God of corpses. He's a God of living beings. There is a resurrection. You need to go read your Bible, is what he's saying to them. It's astonishing. The next instance that we see this used is when Jesus exhibits his power over disease and deafness, right? The word is used again at uh, Jesus opened up the ears of a man who was deaf. We see this in Mark chapter 7. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. Even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus said two words in this instance and, and opened up the ears and the mouth of a man. He said, be opened. That's all he said. He didn't dance. There was no jumping around. There was no shouting and clapping. He didn't yell and scream. He simply said, be opened. And the man's ears were opened and he could speak. And the people, as you can see, were absolutely astonished. They'd never seen anything like this. There's no one like Jesus who speaks and, and ears open, who says a word, and, and closed mouths suddenly begin to, to give praise. And Jesus also makes a connection between his teaching and his miracles so that we get the sense of amazement at the person of Jesus. Right? And the, and the person of Jesus is the one who the Bible reveals him to be. And we get a little clue of this connection as we look at and it's something that happened in the synagogue in Capernaum, which that synagogue is actually partially still standing to this very day. But in that very synagogue, Jesus went in to, to preach and teach. And he says this, this is Mark chapter 1. Um, as he's beginning to preach and teach, there is a, a man who is has a demon. And as the, the teaching was going on, this man interrupted Jesus and began to shout out and, and talk to him. And so we find this, Mark chapter 1, 25-27. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. 
And they were all amazed. And they were questioning among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and obey him? You see, the connection between the effect, the powerful effect of the demon actually coming out of this man and him being freed, as well as the teaching of Jesus. The two are related because they're like, what is this teaching? He, he commands demons and they obey him. And then the summary statement that Mark tells us in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority. Right? They'd never, ever encountered anyone like Jesus. And he's just an average guy, quote-unquote. Anything but, right? But from the world's point of view, they could not comprehend what was going on in the person of Jesus. Is your attention of your soul focused on the Lord Jesus? Are, are you wrestling with who is he? Because you can't ignore him. We cannot ignore Jesus and go on our merry way as if he does not exist. Because the gospel, this, this particular sermon in Matthew forces our attention into right on him. Because all he said is, be silent and come out. And demons obey him. Oh, what a wonderful person Jesus is. What a powerful man Christ is. Be astonished at him because everybody who had any time with him were absolutely amazed. One last instance of, of where this word astonished is used. It's in the last week of Jesus' life. If you remember, he's on his way to the crucifixion. He goes into the temple every day that final week and he begins to teach the people. And the way he treats the temple and the authority with which he speaks is what causes the astonishment. Mark eleven seventeen, And as he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all of the crowd was what? Astonished at him. So Jesus goes in. He realizes they're selling and trading in the place where prayer is to be dedicated. And so he overturns tables. He drives them out and he says, My father's house, this house is a house of prayer. A place for people to pray, not for commercialization. And so he drives them out and they are blown away. Who does this? Who comes into Jerusalem in the temple and assumes to act like this is my house. What Jesus is doing is treating the temple as if it was his house. And he says, I say, this is a place of prayer, not a place for changing money and commercialization. Jesus acts like he has authority over the very rhythms of the spiritual life of his people. Who is this guy? He's absolutely astonishing. So is he astonishing in your eyes? So what have we seen so far? We, we, we survey this word astonished in, in a handful of its uses throughout the New Testament. And we see Jesus is astonishing in his authority and in, in his demeanor and in his knowledge. Even at, at, at an early age of 12, we begin to see his ability for theological discussion and debate, his command of Scripture, the way that he teaches in the synagogue, 
the, his interpretation of, of God's word and his application of God's word. We see that he's astonishingly authoritative over demons and over diseases, as well as over ownership of the religious life of the people. And so they are overwhelmed at this man and astonished at who he is. Now, as we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Particularly, it is noted in that last verse, they were astonished at his, what? His teaching. So what is it in the Sermon on the Mount uh, of his teaching that is particularly astonishing and authoritative? And a couple of things come to my mind I want to leave you with as you consider whether or not Jesus truly is as astonishing in your soul as he ought to be. Is Jesus in the proper place? Is he in the proper orbit of your life? It doesn't mean you have to quit work and, and go climb a high mountain and go away to some monastery in the sky. What I'm inviting you to this morning is to keep Christ at the center of life even when you go to work tomorrow. When you go, does your understanding of who Jesus is, does he make a difference in how you work? Does, does your astonishment with the authority of Jesus make a difference on how you talk and how you explain deals and how you communicate the truth about products or how you relate to your coworkers or do you even care about your coworkers? Right? If, if, if Christ really is who he says he is, that should affect everything we do. And does it? And so Jesus says a couple of things that are absolutely astonishing to me. I'll take you back to the very beginning of chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're almost done. Don't fall asleep yet. Stick with me. And he says this. He says, blessed in verse 10, blessed or blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then in verse 11, he says, essentially, I'll just read it, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see what he just did? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake and the very next verse, he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. Who does that? Who says, blessed are you when, when people say false stuff about you because of me, because your reward will be great in heaven. He is saying, God the Father will reward you because of your love for me when you mistreated on my account. Does that not astonish you? How does Jesus know God the Father loves and cherishes him so much? Incredible to me. And it's very subtle, isn't it? He just says this. But right, we thank God somebody wrote this down so that we could think about it. And he says, and by the way, they'll be treating you just like they treated the Old Testament prophets. So he's putting himself on a par with the Old Testament prophets, and even exceeding that just a little bit by talking about how God the Father is going to reward you for how you get treated. So folks, don't despair. Somebody laughs at you because you're a Christian, makes fun of you because you're a Christian. 
overlooks you because you uh, in a promotion, because you are a Christian, or you don't get work. I know some of you have lost work because of your faith. I know it. Don't despair. Hang in there. Is what you rejoice and be glad. It will be hard here and now in this world. But hang in there, for there is a great reward, is what Jesus is saying, because of him. And then another amazing authoritative thing that Jesus says. He says, I have come to fulfill all of the law. This is crazy. Look at verse 17. So chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And I, I couldn't help but think, do you ever wonder about the conversations that went on in, in the household of Jesus as he was growing up? You know, let's say they got home from the temple and here's father and son talking to Jesus. Now Joseph wants to give some instruction to Jesus, right? He's, he's just run off for three days. Can't have that happening all the time. And so Joseph says, you know, Jesus... What, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what are you going to do with your life? And Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. It, it, can't you hear Joseph like, oh my gosh, son. Of course, everybody aspires to obey all of the law and the prophets. That's good. But nobody's ever done that, son. And Mary's like, I'm telling you, we ought to watch him. This kid is going to do something great. I just know it. Right? And Joseph. All right. Or imagine, imagine you're there at the Sermon on the Mount listening to this 30-some-year-old Jesus who says, I have not come to do away with the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill it all. And some guy in the back's like, all of it? <laughs> hey, Jesus, what about that sacrificial part? What about that part where death is required in order to grant purity? What about that part? And Jesus just says, I have come to fulfill it all. Astonishing to me, Jesus would say such a thing. Unless he's the son of God, unless he's telling the truth. And then he also, on the last authoritative thing he says, he says in about six instances, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Six times he references the old covenant and the law. And he says, you've heard it said by the prophets, by the rabbis, by the teachers. But I say to you, what is he doing? They were partially right, but I'm going to tell you fully what the truth is. That's what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming to be more authoritative than every rabbi and teacher who has gone before him is what he is claiming. If that's not astonishing authority, I don't know what is. And, and then most amazingly, as we saw in chapter 7, Jesus stands and claims to be the very doorkeeper and the judge of who gets in and who does not get into heaven. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do mighty works in your name? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What 
a breathtakingly astonishing and authoritative claim to be the very person to whom every human being will give an account one day when we stand at the gates of heaven. It's, we're going to look Jesus in the eye and have a conversation with him. It will be him who decides who gets into heaven and who does not. And I say, won't you worship him now? Won't you fall on your knees now and pray to this mighty man of God who possesses the fullness of, of the Spirit of God such that he alone has the right to pour out his Spirit on his people and to enable you to do everything for the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether it's enduring physical hardship or loss of job, or difficulty in relationship, or scorn, or mockery, or whatever it is, he will, for the sake of the name of Jesus, he grants us the ability to do it. So is he astonishing to you? Is he astounding to you? Is this, was there ever, ever any 12-year-old like him? Was there ever anybody who claimed to know God's word as Jesus did? Was there ever anybody who claimed to interpret Scripture like Jesus did? Was there ever anyone who was so astounding they could heal with a word or cast out demons with a word? Who is like him? Has there been anybody any more authoritative than Jesus of Nazareth? Who ever claimed, I will fulfill all of the law and prophets and then do it? Whoever claimed, I will lay down my life willingly, and then I'll take it up again. We can all say, I'm going to lay down my life. Then how many of us can say, three days later, I'm going to take it up again? There's no one like him. And he did it. Praise the Lord. So put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Rest in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, it is only in your sweet name that we have any hope. You and you alone. You are amazing and astonishing. And I ask for forgiveness for the days that we are not amazed and astonished at you. And Lord, I ask, would you pour out your spirit on your people so that when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to ho at home today and with our families who you are would affect what we do, how we speak, things that we say, how we love one another, how we grant forgiveness. And Lord, I ask, let your great grace wash over us. Lord, you're amazing in saying that forgiveness can be given to anyone who would come to you. And you tell us, whoever would come to you, you will never turn away. God, let every one of us this morning come to you in faith. We need to be cleansed of our sins. We need to be washed again. We need to be renewed. We need to be revived. And Lord, some of us need to be transformed and saved. And I ask, grant salvation this morning to those who, who have never said, I, you're my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to be a, a follower of you. Would you grant that faith? Even now, Lord, we, we don't have an altar call to this church because we don't need to wait to pray to you. We can pray at any moment and you hear. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, would you save those who cry out for salvation? Would you cleanse those who need cleansing? 
Would you forgive those of us who need forgiveness? Would you restore those of us who need restoration? Would you grant hope to the hopeless? Would you grant this morning endurance to those who need endurance, for those who are weary? Let us find strength in you. And Lord, I, I ask you, uh, even as we sing and worship your name, would you fill us with your spirit? In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.